Hey guys, welcome to the Change Up Podcast. Josh and Chad here. This is where we talk about culturally relevant topics, but we look at them through an honest gospel worldview. Let's get it. What's up, Chad? What up, Josh? How are you this morning? Running a little slow. Allergies got you. Yeah. Yeah, the past week, I've been waking up in a cloud, in a fog. Of... Hey, God makes up for it with those beautiful azaleas everywhere. That's right. Hey, I'm glad it's spring, so I ain't mad at it. I just wish uh, it didn't affect my sinuses and my my mind so much in the mornings. I mean, this must have always been the case, but like, I don't remember as a kid seeing puddles of... like pollen after a rain like it looks like yeah. toxic sludge i know i don't know i mean it wasn't like this that i can remember growing up in kentucky but down here yeah like your yeah your i don't vehicle, remember growing your, up here your vehicle looks green everything. yeah it's like it's hardcore um with the pollen even like under the carport like our vehicles got yeah toasted i mean the wind's lightly blowing, dusted I blowing it say. around so there's Unless Our front whole front porch like full of it. Yeah, rain didn't wash that off. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's too. I got Our in laws are uh, my in laws are coming into town, and um, I got to get back there and like spray everything off <laughs> so it doesn't look like a big green mess. Yeah, um, and then to add to that, we got some more cancellations from our culture. Oh yeah, yeah. Pappy look to you. But yeah, at the, I saw a meme somebody put out. It's like, yeah, we're this is inappropriate. But then, like right below, oh, it, the Grammys. It was like the Grammys, like like basically, you know. Oh my uh, gosh, it's, it was just, you can't even describe it. It's so yeah, horrible. I, I can't even really say what it looked like because, uh, you know, our podcast is supposed to be G rated. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like, but that's totally like that's that's great. That's free. Everybody's free. Everybody's right. great. So it's like, hmm, that's that's odd. <laughs> Yeah, where's he other on Pepe Le Pew? I mean, he's he's a monogamous like yeah, he's just monogamous to, or monogamous uh, monogamy. I don't know polygamy, pun monogamy, monogamy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> polygamy would be multiple. Well, no, that's what I, was, I knew it was polygamy. Yeah. So monogamy, yeah, not monogamy. Probably. Anyways, <laughs> they're also canceling Peter Pan. Really? Not sure why. Maybe his treatment towards Native Americans, potentially. <laughs> And Dumbo. I figured they'd like Peter Pan, you know. He's kind of like... Nah, he's above the law, man. Does whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't listen to the man. It was like the first transgender thing, though, right? The, the lady <laughs> the lady played That's him in the movie. That's a good point. I figured they'd like Peter that Pan. That blew my mind when I was a little kid. Yeah. I couldn't get it. Like, I just didn't get it. Like, I didn't why like would it. a girl play a boy? Like, Yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah. As a kid. I didn't like that version of it. Oh. Uh. But I'm just saying, like, you think they'd be celebrating that. That's right up their alley. Well, yeah, I don't think it was that. And then the Dumbo. What do you think the Dumbo is? The Crows, maybe? What about the Crows? I mean, they kind of were acting like black people, I think. Oh. Maybe. I mean, I'm just speculating. I have no idea. I can't really remember back to, like, what would be. I thought it was just the character Dumbo. <sighs> maybe. Anyways. It's crazy. It's a crazy world we live in. Yeah, it's funny that, once again, there's no objective truth, so it's just, we don't like this, but this is okay, like, there's no line to draw. It's not like, okay, 
it'd be one thing if it's yeah everything that's inappropriate sexually we're done but it's like no it's cool to be over here it's not cool to do this yeah it's like which which ones amazon took a book off their quote-unquote shelves uh that described uh transgenderism as a mental illness and the dude wrote the book like three years ago so they've been selling it for this long Mm -hmm. well they recently took it off and then um people are calling them out for just like being hypocritical they're like so because they come out and they're like well we we can't allow anything with hate speech and this this says that transgenderism is a mental illness and they're like okay how come you haven't taken like the dsm-5 off which describes (laughs) all mental illness (laughs) or like all these other educational books that describe it as mental illness oh yeah it's in the past 20 years it's coming it's coming so it's crazy it's inside if it wasn't so um impactful to us and our children one day it'd be pretty entertaining actually Mm -hmm. (laughs) just to watch crazy people act like crazy people you know in some ways like a like a train wreck Mm -hmm. of course it'll eventually end with you know persecution and stuff i'm sure yeah it's not funny in that regard and it's not funny because it's all sin against the lord obviously right but the funny part is just the you know, it's it's just describing what First um, Corinthians talks about the foolish things will shame the wise, <laughs> like the people who think they're wise or become fools. It's like you look at what's happening in culture. All these super smart people that really are passionate about all their stuff, and when you really break it down logically, it makes absolutely no sense. Right? It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was actually impressed, which I shouldn't have been at all, to see was the Vatican came out against um same sex unions like they they'll ban they're they're banning them wow. which shouldn't be a surprise at all right, that, right. you know the catholic church does well, the pope had been taking some liberal stances lately so that's right. probably why you feel that way yeah so that was and in, in one way good but also the fact that it's surprising is not good kind of showing you the times we're in mm-hmm. all right Take your, oh, by the way, thank you listeners for sending in questions. We're, they're coming in. I'm not reading them. Neither of us are. I actually got to cha- transfer over ownership of that document. I just needed to make sure people could find it and could su- submit them. But we're going to be surprised yeah. by them on the day. Yeah, only our D-day. host. Only our host gets to see it. Yes. All right. That being said, um, we're going to do some take or leave it. First topic is boxcar children. I used to like those books back in the day. Yeah, right? I'll take it. Okay. So, I'm impressed with my naming of this topic. Mm-hmm. You got your kids in cages under the Trump administration, remember, at the, at oh, the border? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now they're kids in containers. Really? Changed the name. But same, they're using the exact same cages mm-hmm. as the Trump administration was. Um, due to COVID concerns. <laughs> yeah. So we got a little bit of hypocrisy happening there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but basically, all these... I don't truly understand the issue in all of its nuances. Mm-hmm. I mean, who does in this in these days? But basically, you had all these undocumented children crossing the border, and they don't want to send them back into Mexico because that would be unsafe. And so they take them in, but they'd also they're not just going to let them go freely into the country. Right. So they and they can't give them away to these unvetted people that are mm-hmm. that would willingly take them into their homes. Mm-hmm. Because they're unvetted, you don't know who you're giving these kids sure. to, so they're keeping them in these cages. I mean, right. I don't know. It's not really a cage. Like when you say when you say cage, you think yeah. of like 
something that's too small for you. Right. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because otherwise, like, it's like every prison's a cage. Like, is it just because it's a fence? It's a cage. I don't know. I don't know. It sounds bad when you say they're in a cage because it sounds like they're on all fours, like a dog, and they can't right. stand up. Right. Yeah. These are actually just they're walled with fence material, mm-hmm. which I would rather a fence material than a brick wall. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's cheaper mm-hmm. to build, and as the prisoner or whatever you want to call them, the detainee, I mean, they're you know, more airflow. <laughs> more COVID conscious. Anyways, what do you think about the hypocrisy of how they're de- well? Maybe not the hypocrisy because obviously we kind of hit that ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. But just the the border crisis mm-hmm. that we're dealing with in our country, people coming in undocumented and then not really knowing what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Well, I do think it's a complicated issue, um, and I and I'll start with that. To be fair to just everybody in government. <laughs> Um, it's not a black and white easy issue in the sense of they are coming people in. Of course they are. They, they live in, you know, Mexico. It's largely impoverished, impoverished and, and doesn't really have a lot of resources or, or anything in America, you know, still is one of the better places in the whole world to live. Yeah. So I get it. I get parents and families want to take that risk to better their life. I get it. And there's a big part of me that's like, yeah, you know, let them come. That's great. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I mean, we still, there's a ton of states there in the Midwest that got all kinds of space. <laughs> yeah. You know? But at the same time, I also understand the issue of doing that free in free fall or free flow um, really isn't wise and, and can lead to a lot of other issues and uh, it'll, and it could damage our country in, in ways, you know. So I've, I've always been a big proponent for, yes, let Im- immigrants come, but let's do it right. Mm-hmm. So I would say we should be putting way more effort into making the process easier and more accessible for people to actually apply and come as legal immigrants, immigrants, first of all. Secondly, I, I have a hard time understanding um, how hard it would be to build essentially tiny homes or dormitories. Um, and and if we got to hold people for a while to check things, because I'm all for, yeah, don't put them in homes with people who are unvetted because you could be set them up for sex slavery or mm-hmm. or abuse or all kinds of things. You know, that's definitely, a, yeah, I'm all for, don't do that. I, I also understand not sending them straight back to Mexico because it could also be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. I get all that. So if you need six months to figure it out, how hard is it to build a bunch of dormitories instead of cages or, or boxes mm-hmm. to where they live in a house? You know, there's tons of people in our country that need jobs. Could be, you know, you could set a kind of a house parent over a few houses that their job is just to make sure they're there and safe and don't leave, you know, mm-hmm. until whatever. But you could set it up in a way that's like civilized. Right. You know what I mean? And it wouldn't cost that much more. Wouldn't be that big big of a deal. There's plenty of space out in like New Mexico and places like that mm-hmm. for this type of deal. Um, and and I don't think anybody would have a problem with that ultimately because as long as we're still doing the thing of vetting and if they're illegal and if they can't come in, sending them back in a safe way, or helping that family figure out how to do it the right way and come, you know, whatever. 
But I have a really hard time understanding why that's such a big, such a hard thing when we're spending trillions of dollars on stimulus packages and everything else. Oh, gosh. You know what I mean? Like, if you really wanted to do it right and help the people who are coming across, you know, the, the liberals, we're all about, you know, helping and equality. And it's like, no, you're just doing exactly the same thing. And here's the other thing we talked about last week. We're not really hearing about this. Why? Because the liberal media now is not saying anything about it. Because they don't want to make our president currently look bad because it's their guy. Yeah. When the reality is they're doing exactly the same thing. Nothing's changing. And nobody's saying Well, they're still on all the conservative channels, but those channels, you know, you kind of got to go find nowadays. Exactly. And you you can hear about it, but you got to work for it. Yeah. Whereas before, I mean, every opportunity they had to talk about how terrible, you know, Trump's policies were and everything they they took it you know mm-hmm. and so that part is just i mean it's just straight up sin and we know that and um but like i said i understand that it's a difficult issue but it seems like if you could get enough smart people together who actually want to do the right thing and care this this wouldn't be that difficult to figure out like a a good safety holding plan that's not cages that's not right. jails it's not boxes well but- it's certainly like as much as much as they criticize the right, um, you would think they would come up with something a little different <laughs> yeah. than the Trump administration. Yeah. Like, if you truly care, just mm-hmm. show some kind of creativity like and ingenuity. You well, know it just what I mean? shows that they're not that bright. They're not smart. Well, they're smart. They just don't care about They don't care about them. Well, but I'm saying. All their brain power is used on gaining more power. Exactly. Well, what they're what they're thinking is yeah like we'll, we'll do something over here then and we just won't really make a big deal out of it and nobody will really pay attention to well, it well and what does it really show about us the people like yeah. you know we said it on here and some like someone's quoted this and i don't know who it is but basically the the people get the leaders they deserve mm-hmm. and so if we're okay with this overall and you know, being shown it in the voting booths i guess you could mm-hmm. say um then that's what it is you know that's yeah. kind of what we deserve yeah, and of course, now you get the the issue of, you know, was the vote, was it shown at the voting booth? Was it booths? shown at the voting booth? It seemed like it was shown at the voting booth, and then it changed at the voting booth. Yeah, <laughs> so we can never be too sure about these things. You know, when you have more votes than people, <laughs> it starts to yeah cause some questions. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. All right, next topic. Let's move away from this. Parasites. Feels boring. I pass. That's not boring, man. <laughs> Name it better next time, I guess. All right, it was about um, Netflix is cracking down on their uh, shared accounts usage. Oh yeah, you share passwords with everybody. Yeah, I'm glad so, I passed. I upset a lot of millennials because <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> okay, next is pedigree. Hmm. All right, I'll take it. All right, speak to the uh, the college degree in today's age. Mm-hmm. Who should be going to college? What kind of questions should they be asking? Who's it for? What do you yeah. overall the uh, yeah the landscape? No, that's a good question. I, for me, I I still think college is valuable, not necessarily because of the degree, although I think in some fields the degree is very valuable. Mm-hmm. Take it, for, guy. For me, for me. Um, Take it from me. I said, like, I put two sentences together. Yeah, you, we can tell you're tired this morning. <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Get that guy some coffee. <laughs> sorry. Uh, a little foggy, boys. A little foggy. 
Uh, and, and girls. <laughs> I just say that sometimes, like, just as, like, a saying, and, and then Laura's like, uh, I'm a girl. I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry. Right. I don't mean that, like, in a way. But most of the time, people will accept guys. Hey, yeah. guys. But yeah. guys is masculine. Yeah, it's a, it's more of a country thing. Right. Know, type of deal. Mm-hmm. E- either way, I digress. Anyway, back to, so I'm from a poor area, impoverished area, um, you know, grew up on a farm, had that invisible glass ceiling you hear about when, in lower socioeconomic status areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and college for me was valuable in the sense of exposing me to different cultures, um, allowing me the opportunity to find out that I could do more than what I always thought or was taught, mm-hmm. right? It expanded my mind to possibilities. And for me, that was the most valuable thing about college was was getting out of my this small little bubble with everybody being exactly the same as me and the the overall message being you'll never be more than this mm-hmm. and you know, and almost out of fear, like who are you to think that you can do more than this? Right. And then I remember, you know, it was it was a tough few first few weeks. I wanted to go back home out of the, that fear and a lot of a lot of people from where I'm from, um did go back home a lot of a lot of people drop out the first couple of weeks from that area they even had a program at eastern kentucky that i was a part of as an upperclassman it was called a star program and the whole point of it was to basically mentor freshmen from that area to just help them get through well, the first it was semester. such a big issue it was a huge issue wow. but if you got through your first semester and you kind of got through that fear you ended up they ended up staying usually long term huh. and so um and i can attest to that because if it wasn't been, hadn't been for my buddy Matt who taught me into coming and, and having some, like, you know, he brought me into the, his fraternity life and met a bunch of friends and all that kind of stuff. I probably would have, but getting plugged into a community is what helped keep me there. Mm-hmm. And then over time realizing like, oh yeah, I can do this, you know, and, and then starting to have dreams and like goals and visions for myself beyond whatever thought you know right so in that regard i think college is valuable or something like that is valuable my, my nephew right now he he just yeah military uh, does that in yeah a way too yeah my nephew he just it's finished cheaper. Uh, boot camp for the marines and mm-hmm. he, called, he called me we had a talk uh, on sunday actually and it was cool because he's super shy and from the same area and same kind of thing because he was that kid he, he got a full ride scholarship to a small college in our area um, about an hour and a half away from home, kind of the same deal, just in a different direction. We, I went to Eastern Kentucky. He went to uh, the Cumberlands, which was kind of in the south of Kentucky towards Tennessee. Full ride scholarship for track, and he was a pole vaulter and really good in high school. Kind of random that I mean that that's what he did, but he did it really well. Yeah. And left after first semester, same thing. Like, and he had the team and everything, but just. He couldn't get past the homesickness or, or all that fear and belief that's around all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But he ended up signing up and joining the Marines on his own because because he knew he and I had a lot of talks about he knew he wanted to do more and have purpose, but he didn't know where to find it. Yeah, essentially. Now I didn't tell him to go to the Marines or anything. That's just that was his idea. Yeah. But just talking to him and hearing like him talking to me is like yeah you know I, I feel more confident now. I feel I'm starting to find kind of my voice and all you know it was kind of neat it was like talking to a different person yeah and so things like that i think are really valuable especially for people who 
didn't grow up around any sort of affluence or, you know, seen that as like a normative thing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, also to answer your question, I do think it can be a real waste of money for a lot of people yeah, who don't really need that, but they don't really know what they want to do with their life. Um, and they get some sort of general degree. Right now, a general degree is no different than a diploma from high school. I mean, it really doesn't mean anything. Well, there are, there are certain places that they won't even hire you. They don't care what your degree is in, what your GPA was, how good a student you were, but they like have to check the box that you have a degree, which is unfortunate. But that's the same thing as what a high school diploma used to be. That's my point is like, it's the new high school diploma, general degree from, from a four year university. Yeah. And you, the competition among so many people, with, when you have a general degree for those types of jobs, it's very hard to get a job with that degree. Well, it's like supply and demand. When you flood the market with yeah. it, the demand kind of exactly. goes away. And then it becomes what's your experience, who you know. Refer- I mean, that's who sets you apart at that point. And that's what drives people to master's programs. Exactly. And and before too long, master's are going to be the next four years. You know, it's just, it's one of those things where, Unless it's in a specialized uh, field like doctor, nurse, engineer, you know, things it's like you're actually learning and the things for the trade. A general uh, like communications degree from college is it's pretty worthless, yeah. honestly. It just gets you in the door of a huge company yeah. that you're going to be pushing papers and, and a lot of times, taking out the trash. You know, people get like these art studies degrees and stuff like that and they're like i can't find a job because they don't have any direction and it's like what does that even what does that degree even mean yeah. you know and so i think it can be a real waste of money in that regard i think i think it's um if you don't really know what you want to do in life i think it's more valuable to go to trade school now for two years and get a get a trade that like welding or you know electrician or anything like that even if you end up going to college later or end up doing something else but those are uh, skills and things that i mean after that i mean you're making a couple hundred grand a year you know if you build a business or you know start you can make a lot of money because nobody does those jobs anymore right yeah plumbers electricians yeah like they're in short supply but i do think i do think um Like I said, I think college is valuable, but I think to here's what I'll say: to believe that going to college will equal you having a great career and a comfortable life is a pretty idiotic thought these days. Mm-hmm. Used to, if you got into college, it was like the ticket. I got a college degree; the doors are open for me. Now, right. that's not the ticket. And so, there's a lot of kids who. Who have a ton of college debt and can't find a job making more than thirty grand a year? But thankfully, it's left these gaps that it's not necessary to be successful either. Because that right. would be unfortunate if, like, you got there, it didn't really mm-hmm. do much for you, but it also you couldn't not do it. Yeah. So nowadays, you can skip college, yeah. go figure out a trade, and then you be on your yeah. own, like you know, doing really well for yourself. By the time that person's yeah. graduated with 40 grand in debt honestly i'm a big believer in entrepreneurship truly like I, we used to be a country that had a ton of people who were starting stuff starting businesses yeah we then we then we became everybody was just looking to work for someone else like mm-hmm. get a college degree and work for someone else i think there's a giant gap right now in our country of 
there's there's a lot of new needs you know culture has changed and if you you can see a need and meet a need and like build a good business around that that's we need to create more jobs we don't need to flood the market with a ton of people who need to work with very few companies to work for yeah so i'm i think that's um if you're going to go to college and just get a general degree go get a business entrepreneurship type of deal Mm -hmm. you know that's that's going to and then figure out what you want to do and like build a business around it that's my advice right for somebody doesn't know what they want to do yeah that's good and that that kind of plays into our um topic today because we're we're continuing our uh, leadership discussion we're uh, reading through the book spiritual leadership by jay oswald sanders and we're going to look at chapter two today which is mm-hmm. the search for leaders yeah and um and when you think of like what college students are being exposed to and what they're not being exposed to typically they're not being exposed to any good leadership yeah you know you, you got professors and they may find you know diamond in the rough there but mm. typically if you're teaching something you you know you're not out there doing it you, mm. there's not really an opportunity not to say they're not good leaders in general but there's just they're not leading they're just teaching and so they're what they're not seeing in those four years is leadership, um, and and that's mm. unfortunate. So it's really beneficial if you yeah. can get exposed to what a good leader is, because that's what, as we'll talk about today, we're in such dire need for. Yeah. Um, spiritually, of course, is what our focus is, but um, just in general, like leaders are few and far between. Well, here's here's the big thing that here's here's why we don't have a lot of leaders. I believe, and I think biblically, we'll see that as well is we have very few people that want to bear the responsibility of leadership. They want the fame and the recognition, right, but not the, the responsibility. But but the reality is when you're leading, it's really hard. And you're putting yourself out there and if if something goes wrong, it's on you. And you know like Yeah. Just like I said, the reason reason why we don't have a ton of people starting new companies is because I mean you're you're living and dying on your idea. Yeah. Or if you hire employees, they're relying on you. Well, my first three yeah. businesses, they failed. And yeah. I could have just like, ah, oh, this is too hard. I quit. Yeah. I'm going to go work for somebody. Mm-hmm. And that was always a temptation. Because mm-hmm. it would have been easy for me to get a job 10 years in the military. Yeah. Like, I could have, I know a lot of people. I probably could have got a job. Yeah. But I was, you know, determined to make it work. And so, and this is twofold in the spiritual world because there's very few people who truly have the spiritual character, right? And then, and then when the ones that do, the idea of sticking their neck out and the responsibility and the the hardships of trying to lead people to the Lord and and lead people in Christ, uh, it's not a glamorous gig. Yeah, it's one of hard work. um, It's one of um, a lot of effort. With and no praise, you shouldn't want praise, by the way. But I'm just saying, like, I, I, we talked about last week. Yeah, like the leader, the spiritual leader in the first, second, third century. Mm-hmm. Like you were gonna die mm-hmm. if you were a good leader. Like there was no praise for yeah. that. Like you just were doing what was right and what right. was what was true, and then you were most likely gonna be killed for that. You know, and leading correctly in the church, I'll, just, I'll speak very like. um practically and then we'll get into the heart of it here in a second but it's basically like all the all the results of of fame with none of the benefits mm. meaning like 
if you're leading in your church, if you're one of the pastors or one of the you know elders, or or even if you're overseeing a ministry, a lot of people know who you are, and now they're watching your life. Mm-hmm. You know, they're judging your life. Um, they're looking to you for guidance. They're also you're also the first one that they they turn against when they you know if they go into sin themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to hear from you and all that kind of stuff. So you get the like the rec- the notoriety in a sense with none of the like praise fame or fortune <laughs> yeah know? and um and that's totally great because god should be the one getting all the glory that that's right you know and, and that shouldn't turn anyone away but the people who are looking for the notoriety the fame and the fortune from a platform of leadership are usually uh sorely disappointed in the in the church or they end up leading the church in a wrong direction in order to get those things right because you can get those in the church in a in a sinful way, and uh, you, you know you can get the notoriety and the money and the platform. And well, all that's that where stuff. you see the big charismatic leaders. I say charismatic, like not the uh, or seeker sensitive guys. You know, yeah, we can put those in the same good team. looking, charming, well, like they can speak sure. well, and, and we think, oh, that's leadership. Well, no, they're just leveraging their strengths. Mm-hmm. True leadership is underneath all that, right? Okay, so question. Um, when did you begin to recognize as you came into the church? Mm-hmm. Um, when did you begin to recognize and what were some of the indications of a lack of leadership? Mm-hmm. Well, for one, I especially see it among men, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and in most churches, your ratio of women who are stepping up and leading versus men stepping up is is pretty egregious. Mm-hmm. When the Bible clearly says it calls men to godly, you know, headship and leadership. Yeah. Um. So that was that's like number one. It's like all these guys who are these great business guys and have a you know a ton of success in their companies and all this stuff are setting back like knots on a log in inside the church, uh, thinking they're doing something good by just showing up and being there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, that's not, that's not anything. Or they end up being put on committees, quote unquote, in churches because of their business acumen and their character being terrible or their knowledge of the scriptures being elementary. Right. You know, at best because they never spend time in it. So that, that, um, because they don't use it as a tool, they use their, Worldly wisdom. Yeah. And that was not shocking to me, but it was a little bit because of, you know, I, I always say I was, the Lord was gracious with me in his sovereignty because when I came to know the Lord, I was incubated among men who love the Lord and led. So the idea of being a leader as a, as a man was, was, uh, discipled into me and I saw it all around me. Yeah. So, um, at campus outreach, great, great godly men, and, and they were, who were leading their families, leading their wives, mm-hmm. leading their children, leading in the ministry, you know, sharing their faith. I just saw it all around me. So to me, it was just like, yeah, that's what we do. And then you see it all in scripture, it lines up, makes sense. When I started working at a church um, and getting exposed to that world is where I, where I started to see all that, and it was, it was um, interesting. Uh, in some ways and not really knowing how to fix it at the time 
being young in my faith myself, as well as even starting to intern and be on staff, trying to figure out how to um, change that tide or, or, or move that needle. Uh, and then the way that we approached it a lot of times in that context was very pragmatic, trying to, um, uh, lack of a better way to say it, strong arm people into leadership, like really talk about how they should be leading and why, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but not really focusing it on their spirituality first. Right. In a, in a deep way, like teaching them the scriptures, letting them see the word of God. Right. Cause if you do that, it's going to come up naturally. Right. And then, and then guiding that along the way. Um, and then it wasn't really until we planted this church and we still had some, a lot, some of those um, pragmatic tendencies ourselves. And then along the way, as we read and grew ourselves, realizing, man, you can't expect fruit from something with no roots. All right. You know, and as we began to um, move, we always taught the Bible, but, you know, Sam really leading us more and more towards uh, deeper expositional preaching and doctrine, Um us moving in that direction more and more in discipleship and how we how we do discipleship and just looking at discipling through the scriptures versus I mean a lot of discipleships can be books booklets you can you can learn all around the scriptures and never actually read and understand the scriptures yeah <laughs> you know what I mean mm-hmm. that's very tempting um, even with a book like this that we're going through you know I want to say this is just a supplementary help it's not in place of your bible reading this should be your bible reading primarily and this as a well one reason i like this book is because it has a ton of scripture references too right um and so the spirituality of a man is what's going to produce a leader when you see god rightly it's just like in isaiah 6 we talk about it all the time when he was before the lord he saw the vision isaiah 6 starting verse 1 he was in awe of God, and he was broken by the chasm between God's holiness and his sinfulness. And this is a prophet who's a better man than us, right? But it, but that awe of God produced this love and this worship. And and all Isaiah wanted to say, you know, when God says, "Who's going to go and speak?" Like, send me, I'll do it. You mm-hmm. know, like, there's nothing else that I can do. Uh, what else would I do? You know, seeing who you truly are, there's nothing else I should give my life for than to be your ambassador, you know. And so when men and women both see God rightly through the scriptures, it produces a natural awe of God and a worship of God. And out of that worship, leadership is a natural byproduct. Now, what areas you lead in can all be different. We're all called to lead, but we're not all called to be the leader, like the main leader, right? Right. So, but all of us as Christians are called to lead in some capacity. We're called to make disciples, right? We're called, we're all called to share a faith. That's a way of leadership, right? If you're a parent, you're called to parent and discipline your children and, and, and disciple your children. That's leadership, right? Um, but then some he calls, we see in scripture calls more specially to be, you know, a shepherd, a teacher, a pastor, you know, uh, elder to guide and equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? 
So you see some leaders being set apart for the work of leading the church overall, but but every Christian is called to lead in some way. Yeah. So he says in the book, um, to be a leader in the church, this is on the second page of the chapter, to be a leader in the church has always required strength and faith beyond the merely average. Mm-hmm. Why is our need for leaders so great and candidates for leadership so few? Every generation faces the stringent demands of spiritual leadership and most unfortunately turn away. But God welcomes the few who come forward to serve. So he then goes on in two paragraphs down to describe his three um, attributes of a leader. And he describes them as authoritative, uh, spiritual, and sacrificial. You kind of just hit on the spiritual, Mm -hmm. which we we think is the most important because it's from that... Um, deep spiritual communion with God that you're going to naturally yeah. build the conviction yeah. to lead and attempt to. Yeah, I like his attributes here, but I would have reordered them. Yeah. I would have said spiritual, sacri- authoritative, and sacrificial. Yeah. Because the authoritative nature of a leader rightly comes from the understanding of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. That's where the, th- the authority comes from God. So right. the spiritual part has to be first. Well, yeah, and it, it comes from the word because it's. This is what he describes as authoritative. People desire reliable leaders who know where they are going and are confident of getting there. So it's that conviction about what's wrong that needs to be righted, and then it's that clarity of how it's going to happen, which right. is all coming from the word of God, not our own ideas, not mm-hmm. how this other person that I know did it at their church. Like we're going to be informed by the word. And But I think what's lacking mostly, which you talk to, mm-hmm. is that spiritual conviction that we get when we read the scriptures like yeah. Isaiah did. His conviction was such, woe is me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Yeah. And that's Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Yeah, and and then the Lord cleansed him. And then he's, mm-hmm. what is his response? Send me. Like, right. here I am, send me. Mm-hmm. And so it's from that spiritual, that the authoritative will grow. But then we could talk to the sacrificial. Mm -hmm. It says sacrificial because this trait follows the model of Jesus who gave himself up for the whole world and who calls us to follow in his steps. So speak to sacrifice of a leader. What does that look like? Well, like, like it says, you know, our, our true head is God, Christ, you know, Christ is our Lord. And so, we are to love others as Christ has loved us. We're to we're to lead. Uh, we're supposed to be sacrificial um, servant leaders, uh, as Christ was for us. Who He washed the feet of His disciples. He died for us on a cross. He took responsibility that wasn't even His to take, and and did it on our behalf. And so that's the attitude of a of a spiritual leader. A godly man is one who who stands up for the things of God. And he takes responsibility for those that he's leading and lovingly, although firmly, but lovingly guides them in the truth and holds firm on the truth um, for their lives. And so that, that requires a lot of sacrifice. I mean, that re- requires a sacrifice of yourself. It, it's not about personal ambition. It's about the good and of everyone else and ultimately about God's glory. That's going to mean um, having to have hard conversations when you don't feel like it. That's going to mean some nights when you could, should be with your family, you know, a crisis comes up and, and you need to go minister in that moment. 
um, that's going to mean a sacrifice of your family in some ways. That shouldn't be all the time. There should be a balance there. And, and so don't hear me say that family comes second. That's not the point. But it's also, you know, a wife of a pastor is called into sacrificial leadership just as much as the as the pastor is because mm-hmm. she needs under she she has to understand that that's part of the part of it and she plays a part in it even if it's just caring for her husband while he's trying to care for the people mm-hmm. um it's going to require i mean just very practically you're not going to store up treasures on this earth you're not going to have a ton of money right you know um god's going to care for you and take care care of you and money's just a tool and so sometimes you know maybe he does bless you with um something you know uh you could you could be a guy like piper that god just puts something on your heart to write and it blows up and yeah and there's funds there but how do you use that you know the the point of that is not to build yourself a mansion and well he and he stuff. personally doesn't take any proceeds exactly. from his books he uses that for ministry and he you know but god cares for him you know yeah he has what he needs god will care for you and give you what you need but the, the, it's not about treasure in this life. And so, yeah, you're going to forgo everything you see on TV. You're not going to have multiple houses and cars and and boats and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Not to say that you're not going to have some stuff in life, but my point is... Not to say that you could have gotten that in the real world anyway. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, that's the American dream, right, is to get to this place to have all these things and all this stuff. And God's going to care for you, and there'll be blessings along the way, sure. But that's not what you're doing it for. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and so there's a ton of sacrifice when it comes to leading, but that I always go back to that main thing of responsibility. When you're taking responsibility, it's a burden to bear. It's one that isn't, isn't hard to bear when you're rightly doing it in Christ for God's glory. He's going to bear it on your behalf and his yoke is light, but the responsibility of leadership is, is one that's heavy at times. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be the one sitting beside someone who lost a spouse, you know, um, praying with them and and crying with them. And you're going to be doing funerals, just like you'll be doing weddings. Mm-hmm. But you might be talking to a couple that has infidelity going on and you're trying to put the pieces back together with them. Or, you know, there's just, I can go on and on. Well, and you're speaking specifically like pastoral leadership. Right. But-, but I'm saying that that's true in church leadership too. I mean, what I mean is like, Yes, that's my role as a pastor. But smaller portions of that, but similar, also happen from other leaders with other leaders in the church. You know, if you're if you're doing community rightly, you're you know you're going to be discipling someone. You're going to be investing in people. You're going to be overseeing maybe a ministry within the church that has has some similar things. So it's so. It's not maybe as burdensome as the main pastor, but there there are aspects of this as a Christian. Plus the yeah. the fact of persecution. You know, you're going to sacrifice some friendships because some people aren't going to follow Christ, and they're not going to want to be your friend anymore. Yeah, things of that nature. Yeah, and you can see that clearly when you uh, attempt to mm-hmm. lead your family. Yeah, <laughs> you got young kids. Like, yeah, things they'll say like about God and about when they're trying, just trying to like exert their dominance over you you know how they do with their temper tantrums and such but like yeah. it happens with the bible too it starts to become a regular thing you start trying to implement it and you start getting pushback you mm-hmm. know it's just like a, a microcosm of like the persecution you'll face when you're 
when you're mm-hmm. trying to change and lead. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're pushing against is the authority yeah. that you as the father. But I think I was going to say like the the sacrifice um, can it's like you know the whole you can go to the other side of the ditch situation where people will sacrifice time with their family. They'll sacrifice mm-hmm. their their own health, their purity. They'll sacrifice these things for leadership, but those are the wrong things to sacrifice. Right. You know, like you said, you need to sacrifice um, the awkward conversation or the hard conversations. Mm-hmm. Like that's the sacrifice. You need yeah. to go through like the emotional ups and downs with people. Like that's mm-hmm. the sacrifice. But at the same time, leading well spiritually yourself, you know, mm-hmm. keeping your um, yourself away from sin, like leading your family well, there's a ton of sacrifice there. Um, so I think that's where every man needs to start and woman too, mm-hmm. is just leading in their own household uh, with themselves and then their family. Absolutely. And, and realizing that cost. And, and I think our greatest example of how to develop yourself or not develop yourself or be developed into a leader. Um, I think we see that, uh, clearly throughout the gospels, but you see Christ spending, uh, three years with his disciples, teaching them, showing himself to them, you know, them seeing God rightly by being with Christ and understanding what it means to lead and the sacrifice that comes with it. Yeah, it the story, I don't have it in front of me, but where the disciples are arguing and James and John want to be at his right hand and his left hand, you know, mm-hmm. and they're thinking earthly kingdom and Jesus is like, I don't know if you can take the cup. Right. <laughs> like, are you are you willing to take the cup? You know that 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 is necessary for that position, and of course they're like, oh, of course, but mm-hmm. they didn't understand what he was saying. Um, but eventually they would take that. You know, they'd be martyred and take a lot of that stuff. And so I think the model for that in churches, the right model is when someone becomes a new Christian, there should be a period of discipleship. You know, a year or so of learning the the Bible, the fundamentals, understanding, growing in their faith. And then um, from there, uh, as God's character is shown in them and maturity is growing in the faith, um, God God will direct and call different people to different a- aspects of leadership. Yeah, And you see it all throughout Scripture. I mean, even in First Timothy 3 that we read last week, one of the things is to not be young in the faith so you wouldn't be puffed up. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget exactly how he said that, but I'll read it real quick. First Timothy three. Uh, verse six. First Timothy three, verse six. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into con- condemnation of the devil. And so, you know, a lot of sometimes we see within the church a lot of times young ambitious guys who want to lead and you know they want that fame they want kind of the worldly version but are nowhere near ready you know they have enthusiasm for the lord but they're not mature in the lord yet right you know we have to take our time with that um and and when it comes to leading uh in the church or leading uh for god it's you're thinking of a lifetime and a long-term play um, doesn't mean like as soon as you're saved, you shouldn't go tell your friends about the, the gospel and that you don't have to wait on. But when it comes to taking responsibility for others in the church or discipling others, 
you got to first mature in your own faith because it's got to be about knowing the scriptures first. Yeah. Um, it's not about learning pragmatic ways of how to lead in the church. It's about knowing Christ, knowing the gospel, knowing your Bible, and then leading from a place of worship. And really what your Bible will teach you is about yourself, which is how unworthy you really are <laughs> right. to lead. That's right. And that's where this, this, um, yeah. hesitation should come in. Like, whoa, right. like, yeah, there I'm a, a healthy- man of unclean lips. I should not be going anywhere. Yeah. There's a healthy, like, yes humility and like i don't have anything to boast in of myself like I don't, I, there's nothing great for me to be a leader however god if you're calling me to do this i have confidence in you and i'll do what you ask me to do like that's the, that's the right heart of a, a godly leader not yeah i can do this <laughs> you know right. i want this i want this job right i can talk to people right yeah, it says uh, on the last page, he says, Our Lord made clear to James and John that high position in the kingdom of God is reserved for those whose hearts, even the secret places where no one else probes, are qualified. God's sovereign searching of our hearts and then his call to leadership mm-hmm. are awesome to behold, and they make a person very humble. Yeah. Yeah, you see uh, in the reflection questions, as you can say, God took 80 years to prepare Moses, you know, um, and so this idea of of this quick, you know, giving of offices to people who aren't ready, that's that's just as dangerous as having no leaders. But what we should do is we should commit to teaching the scriptures in our churches. If you're a pastor and you're, you're you know, teach expositorily, meaning expose and show and explain the scriptures. Don't tell your church your own thoughts. Tell them what the Bible says. And then disciple people in your church and raise up other disciplers mm-hmm. and develop, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, a farm system of leadership where it's people are making disciples and they're truly teaching the scriptures to one another and leading one another and helping one another grow in maturity. And then you'll look around and you'll have a bunch of mature Christians in your church who are equipped and able to lead. And then, and then from there, you, you know, God, Got to orchestrate it, but um, there'll be there'll be people for every area eventually, you know, yeah. over time. And if you don't have the people ready for it yet, then don't do it yet. Right. <laughs> you know, um, do what you. Here's what needs to be done in a church: teach people the word of God. Right. That that is necessary. It's not necessary to have, you know, um, I don't know some sort of canned food ministry or I don't know, like there, those are great, you know, but you may not need to start there. Right. And you're look if you're looking around your church and you see a, a lack of leadership, then begin a three year process of like your you know. church may just need someone showing up every Sunday with their Bible open, ready to learn and then teaching it to their kids. Right. And then, sharing that with other adults in the church mm-hmm. too like and yeah. hopefully that if that catches on then you're going to see a lot more growth over the next couple of decades right. and so a few uh tips to the uh pastoral leaders out there ministry leaders is if you if you're looking around and you have no leaders you should first ask yourself am i teaching those scriptures and mm-hmm. be honest with yourself like am i am i teaching the scriptures or am i using the scriptures to make a point Am I teaching topically and the topic is the focus, not the understanding of what the scriptures are? 
because you want them to see God rightly. So first and foremost, change that. Secondly, start discipling a few men and a few women in your church. You know, if it's just you and your wife who are able to do that, okay. Well, each of you take two or three disciples who are eager to learn. Start there. Yeah. And pour into them for a year or year and a half. And if you do that rightly, they'll become people who start to disciple other people. Mm-hmm. And over time, over about a three to five year process, you'll begin to have a church where discipleship is normal, knowing God's word is normal, and then the byproduct is leadership becomes normal. Right. Yeah, that's good. Well, we can close with his last chapter is just a warning. So uh, we'll share the warning. It says, if those who hold influence over others fail to lead toward the spiritual uplands, then surely the path to the lowlands will be well-worn. People travel together. No one lives detached and alone. We dare not take lightly God's call to leadership in our lives. Mm. That's good. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Keep bringing in questions for us for our Hot Wing Challenge. Next week, we're going to be looking at the master's master principle. Nice. All right. Later. Thank you for listening to the Change Up podcast. This podcast is made possible by The Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. If you don't have a home church, please come check us out. We have service times at 845 and 1045 on Sundays, and you can find more information at thefieldnola.com. If you found this podcast to be helpful, please share it with a friend or family member and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people just like you find us.